0: Everybody, is this not the most beautiful February morning that you've ever experienced? My gosh, I know we're all thinking, let's just do this every Sunday, right? I don't know if it's this perfect every Sunday, but it is pretty perfect a lot of the time. In the park today, and you're walking by and you're wondering who in the world is this group of people, feel free to sit down next to somebody, hang out with us, introduce yourself. There's a lot of great people here. A part of this uh, church fellowship of branches. We meet at the senior center just across the street, but we have no access to it because some people are running this morning in the Surf City Marathon. Uh, we're not there. We're here. We're going to be eating chicken later. So uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but feel free to move up if you'd like. Move around during the service. Maybe the noise of the kids is going to be a little distracting, so get a little closer. Or if you need some shade, get the shade. If you need some sun, get some sun. But uh, just realize, let's just take it in for a second, like how blessed we are as a group of people. I mean, you think about all the Christians across the world right now that just don't have the capacity to even gather together. I mean, there's so many in countries around the world right now that don't have the capacity to do what we're doing right now. And it's been near a year that we've been able to regather in a city facility. We're renting out a city facility and preaching the gospel in it and walking through the scriptures every single week. Right now, we are renting this space in the park, and we're able to proclaim songs of worship in public to be able to preach from God's word in public in this setting while half of the country is experiencing the worst winter storm in history. I mean, you have got to realize the sort of blessings that we're experiencing. Can we give some praise? Because I realize that there's really a spirit of negativity and pessimism and I know there's fears about the future and you know some of that is granted we've got to think through some of those things but I mean at present right now we've just got to realize what we have and I'm so so grateful and I'm so so grateful because this is also our fifth birthday as a branches community yes our fifth birthday it's Near our 11th birthday of being a community together, we were formerly Rock Harbor, Huntington Beach. And I started in that role at age 23. My wife and I were just a couple months married. So I can say quite literally, I've grown up in this community. And for me, as I reflect on these five years and really these 11 years, I can just say that like, this is the most special thing to me, is this family. Are These relationships because this is not a job to me. This is not a gig. It's never been a gig. I have no plans of going anywhere. There's no rungs on a ladder that I'd want to climb up like you are my spiritual family. You are my family in the kingdom of God and I've journeyed through so much with so many of you. And I'm just so, so grateful for this moment that we have to be together. When we're taking a family photo, it's not like, hey, this is great for the church. I'm like, I want my fireplace. Like, you are my church family. You're my brothers and sisters. You're my, you're my inspiration in my walk with Jesus. So just thank you for being that family. I really enjoy just milling around, getting started a little bit later. We're going to be hanging out. I love just eating chicken out in the park with you guys. All the bounce houses there. And, uh, you know, what's so special is I got some time to look ahead this last week. In fact, thinking about our next five years as a church community. Every year I do this. I'll go away for a prayer and vision retreat. God bless my wife. She does without me for 24 hours as she parents the five kids on her own. And and yet it's such a rejuvenating time for me because I walk away from that time. I walked away this last week thinking about things that God is going to be leading us through and we're going to be doing together in september of 2023 like that's as far out as i'm i'm praying into and and like literally making plans so i don't know how many of you have like thought what you're doing in september of 2023 and i know the world can get turned upside down and change those plans as we've already seen but but man, i'm enthusiastic not just for where we are but where we're going there's so much that god has for us and and again, that gratitude that I'm feeling, and you can see I'm overflowing with it. I keep using that word, but I, I want you to capture that. I want that to be a bit contagious. That gratitude comes as I've just been looking back. I recorded the state of the church. We're going to be showing that live tomorrow night at 7 p.m. It's a live stream you can tune into on YouTube. You can go to our web page. I'm going to be sharing about the last nine months, the journey that God has had us on as a community. It's nothing short of miraculous. I want to give you a view into all kinds of things maybe you don't normally see. We want to talk finances with transparency and candor and honesty. And I'm going to be live taking your questions. So if you have any questions about this church community, there is no like behind the scenes, uh, untouchable or unquestionable realities in this church. Like we understand there's a lot of skepticism in our world today for good reason with any and all authorities. And so we want to build trust. So if you want to tune in live, Think about those questions that you have for me. I'm going to take them live, and I'm going to answer them. So tune in tomorrow night for our State of the Church, 7 p.m. It'll also be recorded and kept up online so you can see it if you weren't able to tune in. But so many things uh, that, you know, looking back, looking ahead, God is doing something amazing. And we're simply trying to live into our namesake passage to be branches who are abiding in the vine. Jesus says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So every week, we're just doing that simple thing. We're abiding in Jesus. We're abiding in his words. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this morning, you can open up to Matthew chapter 19 if you'd like. So uh, I'm actually talking about money today. It's a great topic for a, a public park. Really excited to play into everybody's skepticism. That's just kind of a spectator walking through here as you talk about money. But I mean, this is what happens when we're just going through God's word. Jesus talked about money. These aren't my ideas. It's, it's not, uh, you know, a bait and switch here. This is literally Jesus speaking to us in Orange County, in Huntington Beach, you know, pretty much an epicenter of wealth about money. And, and you know what? He's going to challenge us. And we were challenged last week. Brian Sumner did a phenomenal job conveying God's heart for his high value, God's high value for marriage and for singleness in the kingdom of God. And when he conveyed that standard regarding marriage, Man, even the disciples on the other side of listening to him were like, man, who can accept Jesus' teachings? And, and this is pretty, you know, common that Jesus has this bar that's like impossible to reach. I mean, if you'll remember in Matthew chapter 5, he actually says, I want you guys to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, and that's what we heard last week regarding marriage and singleness. So so, so that bar of perfection, it at times did confuse and it did frustrate the disciples, and maybe you felt that same way. Well, well, this morning, as we're going through this teaching on money, you're going to see that bar of perfection when we start talking about money. It doesn't just frustrate and confuse some people. It outright sends them away. So, so let's start reading here, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13. We're actually going to start with a scene where Jesus is welcoming in children. So there's a bit of irony here. He's welcoming in children even as he's going to be sending another individual away by the end of the reading. Let's read verse 13. It says, The people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. That's Jesus' followers saying, no, get them out of here. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of greatly astonished, just like last week and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with this, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. I think that's enough for a public park this morning. Let's pause right there in our reading. You know, the setting that our reading began with are these children and their parents likely seeking this spiritual blessing from Jesus. And the disciples are decidedly against this activity. They think the kids are a nuisance. They're bothering Jesus. They're trying to get the parents. Get get your kids out of here. And it's kind of ironic that we're actually talking about this message in the context like, of this message because there's a bunch of little kids present. And, and I'm going to just say right now, there's no curmudgeons among us like the disciples, right? You know, Be very careful how you discipline your kids this morning because we're watching you. Jesus said, don't hinder the children. Let them come to me because the kingdom belongs to ones such as these those who become like these individuals. And remember, like we talked about several weeks ago, whoever welcomes a child welcomes in Jesus. Now, following that scene, we have somebody on a completely different side of the spectrum. Verse 16 tells us this man of great wealth comes to Jesus, seeking his insight as a teacher. And we might wonder, does the kingdom of God belong to him as much as it belongs to the children? And he asks Jesus as he approaches verse 16, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I have access to this thing that the children have access to? And the word here is much more forceful. He goes, what good thing can I do to have, to hold, to possess eternal life for myself? You can think, wow, he owns a lot of stuff. He thinks he's going to own eternal life as well. And Jesus responds, well, if you want to talk about goodness, let's talk about God. Let's start there. Why don't you keep the commandments? And he starts going through some of these commandments because he goes, well, which ones? And he says, well, you know, these are all the ones dealing with interpersonal relationships. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't murder. You know, you should honor your father and mother. And the man is like, you know, okay, Jesus, I'm tracking with you. Check, check, check. You know, I've done all these things. What more do I lack? What am I still lacking in terms of my performance to obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, Sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. And that was that. Jesus revealed an earthly attachment that was too great for the man, and he walked away. He walked away because he had too many things that were getting in the way of him actually receiving this invitation for Jesus. He walked away deeply grieved. So that's it, guys. Sell it all. Sell it all or go home. This is full send right here with Jesus. You know, what if that was the end of the sermon? That was the end of the sermon for that guy. What if that was the end? It's like, sell it all or go home. Let's eat some chicken. Inflate the bounce house. All right, we're done, guys. I mean, it's really hard to come to terms with this passage. What in the world are we supposed to do? about this situation. I know many of you are asking WWDRD what would Dave Ramsey do? Right here. WWDRD what would Dave Ramsey do? You know, and I don't know if he knows what to do. I read, you know, a lot of, you know, scholars and commentators with how we are supposed to digest this situation. We know it's not so as simple as well, here's the universal standard of following Jesus. For the wealthy, because there were several wealthy followers of Jesus. They weren't all poor. You had Joseph of Arimathea, you had Barnabas, Zacchaeus, we got the women Mary, Joanna, and Susanna who helped fund Jesus's ministry. They didn't give up everything, but if you think about it and you look at the scriptures, they all did give up something. They all gave up quite a bit of what was valuable. In this world's eyes. Barnabas sold a plot of land to fund the apostles. Zacchaeus gave half of his money to the poor. And Joseph of Arimathea donated his tomb to Jesus. Although in the end, Jesus did give it back very quickly. In, in, you know, clean swept condition. Except he did leave some clothes behind. That's some Bible humor right here. And I got Justin to laugh. So I sold. I'm a winner this morning if I got Justin, all right? I couldn't avoid it. But really, if you think about it, this is neither an absolute demand on all of us, nor is it anything that we can ignore or simply sidestep. All the more because we live in a land of opulence. We live in a land of great wealth. The very sort of environment, Jesus says, that makes it hard for us to enter into the kingdom. Nay, He says it's impossible to enter the kingdom. And that's the first seismic revelation that I think is contained in this interaction. Jesus reveals wealth is not always a blessing from God. In fact, it can be the opposite. Wealth can be an obstacle as we're seeking the kingdom of God. To the average Jew at this time, and to many Christians even today, wealth was and is seen as the evidence that God is sort of validating your way of life that God is automatically blessing you. That's the way a lot of people think of wealth. And poverty was and still is often seen as a result of personal folly and God's judgment. Poverty was seen as a curse. So if you're them and you're seeing this guy, his religious observance and his social status, and he's turned away from Jesus, it was like seeing Dwayne the Rock Johnson being denied access to Jesus' band of followers. You know, this is a guy who's got the most followers on Instagram. He's got the billion-dollar smile. He's got biceps as big as my head, and my head is large. And they're looking at this guy. Wait a minute. If he can't have access to the kingdom, to Jesus' band, well, then who in the world can be saved? Who can have access, right? They were thinking, man, this guy's wealth is part of an improved spiritual resume, If he can't get in, who's allowed in? But Jesus isn't hiring based on the world's criteria. To him, the man's wealth wasn't a credit to his account, but actually an impediment. Because money naturally possesses this stranglehold power over our heart and mind. and becomes for many of us, if not all of us, when we're tempted, a rival to God. Remember what Jesus taught. You cannot serve both God and money. You will always end up loving one and despising the other. That's exactly what this exchange proves. It's brass tax time, right? It's the fork in the road scenario. This individual has it all, and he has one more thing he wants to obtain. It's eternal life. And he can choose his wealth today or he can choose the assurance of life forevermore tomorrow. Which one will he love and which one will he despise when he's given that choice? Release the wealth and embrace Jesus or hold his grip on everything he has. And he just can't bring himself to give it up. That's another revelation here, I think, in this teaching, this scenario. All those things we think we own and have control over, they often control us. A lot of the things that we possess, as possessions, hold possession over us. Now, I remember being 15 years old and giving my life to Jesus for the first time and feeling this call to ministry to be a pastor and a church planter, and and I was giving all these grand claims before God. God, I will never have money. I will do anything that you ask. I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will go through all this hardship and trial. It was very easy for me to give it all up because I had nothing. I had nothing. I didn't even know what I could get. I was a child. But the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. I was right. There was something there that that is a part of that king today. He was possessed by his possessions. Think of the way his powerlessness over his stuff is revealed in his sadness over himself as he walks away in this walk of shame. Look, if he's sad about it, right, you think, well, go back. Change your mind. Just, you know, give up your stuff then and join Jesus and inherit life. But it's that powerlessness that's revealed. He's got this other force at work with him, within him, that's overpowering his desire for eternal life and for God. And it's the force of money. It's the force of money that's working in him to shrink his vision from eternity to the temporary, to make the illusion of security in this life today more valuable than the promise of eternal life tomorrow. That's what money does. That's its power to shrink our vision from eternity to today. But tomorrow always comes. What good are the man's possessions to him right now, 2,000 years later? All the wealthy couldn't give up. The old stock market adage applies here, right? Buy low and sell high. You know, it's time to sell. Sell the possessions while they're still worth something, while you can trade them in for heavenly possessions because eventually the worth of all those valuables is going to shrink to zero. So give it all up. But it's not that easy. It's hard. Jesus says so. With a worldly narrow vision, our possessions appear to us to be so valuable, so we just can't let them go. Think for a moment about the value of the man's actual wealth in the moment. Because I think when you think about the value of his wealth, we can all sympathize with him a bit more. We can live in his shoes. The word for great wealth that's there in the Greek used to describe this man is actually the word for, and I never saw this before, it's the word for property. It's land. It's property. It's estates. It's houses. That's what he has that he can't give up. This is the great objective and goal of nearly every middle class and up human in Orange County. That's what he couldn't give up, his homes. And gosh, with the demand for homes sky high and prices alongside them sky high, I know so many of us are this man. Face-to-face with Jesus, given this challenge, we'd not be able to let it all go because we all want or have so much we would have to give up. The disciples asked this poignant question, who then can be saved? Who can do this? For man, it's impossible, but with God, the impossible is made possible by his grace through the cross of Jesus and I believe what's possible is not only our salvation by God's grace, won for us on the cross of Jesus, where Jesus' perfection, not our perfection, is put upon us, and we receive the eternal life that we didn't earn, that we couldn't do anything to inherit for ourselves. Yes, I think that's God doing the impossible, granting us access to his kingdom. But I believe what's also made possible is the grace that works the impossible in our lives. The power of God's grace to loosen the grip the rich have upon their wealth, or rather to break the power that wealth has over the rich. Let me be clear, Jesus doesn't hate rich people. Okay, I mean, he spent a lot of time in the scriptures with tax collectors. They were wealthy. He had a lot of dinner parties with these individuals. When it came to Zacchaeus, he, he invited him personally into the kingdom of God. But it's precisely that love for people who are rich which leads Jesus to attack the disfiguring and deceptive power of wealth and possessions that they have over our hearts. And it's his grace that frees us to a life of the kingdom he has a better promise that goes beyond this life imagine you know the reward he talks about he says if you give up your wealth if you give up those possessions i'll give you back a hundredfold imagine that a hundred times the price of your house given to you a hundred times the price of your car a hundred times the price of that babe ruth rookie card or whatever it is I mean, if you could get twice the market value for your possessions right now, you'd sell it in an instant. It doesn't matter how much sentimental attachment you have to it. He says, I'll give you a hundred times that in my kingdom. Now, what do we do with this? How do we digest this? How do we apply it? says, let me give a couple pastoral applications very quickly. First of all, I want to say, Not everyone gave everything, but everyone who follows Jesus gives something. Not everyone gave everything, but everyone who follows Jesus gave something. If you're not giving, don't kid yourself about following Jesus. Just don't kid yourself about it. That was something Jesus placed on every single one of his followers. You're going to follow me. You're going to be giving. You're going to be picking up your cross and following after me. You're going to die to yourself. He didn't talk about money once. He talked about money a lot of times. If you're not giving, don't kid yourself about following Jesus. Following Jesus demands the giving up of our wealth, of our possessions as we know them. I also want to say don't mistake financial responsibility for financial generosity. Some of you are very good with money, and you're very bad with generosity. You know, I I joked about it earlier. WWDRD. What would Dave Ramsey do? Well, you know, he'd help you get out of being enslaved to debt. But nobody can teach you generosity like Jesus. Dave Ramsey isn't going to teach you this ideal of Jesus in its fullness. Don't prop up any financial advisor, any spiritual leader who gives you all this advice about how to use your resources. Don't prop them up to the level of Jesus. Only Jesus can teach us generosity. Follow him. And finally, let's be free of this idol of wealth. We've got to become like children. Flee from the idol of possessions, which is one of, if not the primary God of Orange County, where we're living. This is the waters where we're swimming. Our salvation depends upon Jesus' work on the cross, the impossible made possible. But let's also allow God to work the impossible by his grace through us the death of loving money and possessions in our hearts. You won't be living in that house that you want or you have for all of eternity, but in your father's house where he has prepared a room for you and I. We've got to continually let it all go because it will be gone. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it except by God's grace? God working the impossible and making it possible by His grace. Let me pray for us before we close out our time together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's clear as day that you love people. You say that uh, the the kingdom belongs to ones such as children. Those who have no wealth, they have no privilege. God, there's probably some here who are young. Maybe they're, they've gone through difficult circumstances in their life and, and they don't have a penny to their name. And maybe in the world's eyes, that makes them less valuable. In Orange County, it certainly maybe puts them on the fringe. But in your kingdom, that's not an impediment. Lord, you'd actually commend them and say you have less in terms of obstacles to receive the fullness of my kingdom in this life. So, Lord... I pray that they, too, would just be welcomed into your grace. But, Lord, for many of us, whether or not we want to realize it, we are the rich of the world and we live in a place of great wealth where there is this idol, this rival God of material possessions, of property, of homes, of land. Lord Jesus, you want to free us from that idolatry that vision that gets shrunk down to just the temporary of today, the illusion of security. You want to give us genuine, eternal security as we look toward our Father's house prepared for us forevermore. You want to open our vision to what can be done with these temporary earthly resources that we can trade them in for heavenly riches. So, Lord, you may not be placing on the hearts of everybody here, hey, sell everything, Not everybody gave everything. Some did. But all of your followers gave something. Lord, teach us to be generous, not just financially responsible. Yes, we want to be responsible, but we want to be like you, Jesus. Teach us to be generous. Free us. Free us with the freedom that even children experience. Care free about those realities unburdened by those anxieties released to your work in this world. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made poverty gain or inherit eternal life by our own merit. But you have granted us access by your grace and through faith in what you've done and in your perfection. Thank you for that, Jesus. We rest in that as we ask for your grace to work through our lives this morning.